The following sermon audio. The following sermon audio. The following sermon audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church. Of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. Good afternoon. My name is Luke. I'm the intern here, as you may have guessed. I'm excited to be here with you all today. Often, I think we're very unaware of the pride that exists in all of our lives. Most of us, I bet, would like to think of ourselves as humble people, but I think we're all at least a little bit proud. We like to do things on our own, and we like to be self-sufficient. And any time we have to accept help, we tend to think of that as just a little shameful or humiliating. A lot of times, it takes a major life circumstance to knock our pride away and to expose our pride to us. I'm going to tell you a story about a time that life exposed my pride to me, and I was humbled. So before I went to seminary, but after I graduated from university, I worked full-time at a Christian camp and retreat center in the state of Oklahoma in the United States. My wife, who was then my fiance, also worked there. And I lived with the other single guys in an apartment that was attached to the camp's gymnasium. And I use the word apartment very loosely. It was a locker room that had been turned into an apartment. So I shared that with five other guys. And so one day in early January, I walked into my apartment. I noticed that it smelled just a little funny. But I lived in a locker room with five guys, so weird smells were pretty normal. <laughs> I wouldn't ordinarily share details like this with you, but it's important for the sake of the story. I went into my apartment because I had to use the restroom. And so as I went to the restroom and sat down, I started to hear noises, what sounded like insulation falling on the ceiling tiles. And well, I thought, oh, that's a little weird, but we had a big mouse problem. And so I thought it was just the mice running around in the ceiling. And I also noticed it was a little warmer than normal but I didn't think too much about it. It was a warm day for January, and the heat had been on. So I just thought, you know, heat's on. It's warm. But then something really strange happened. The power went out. And then seconds later, the fire alarm went off. And everything made sense all of a sudden. My apartment was on fire, and the fire was blazing right above my head. So finished my business as quickly as I could. <laughs> and as soon as I got out of the building, I could see the smoke pouring out of the roof. I made it out just in time, but the building quickly blazed. It was an older building, and unfortunately, firefighters cannot get it under control. I lost everything I owned. And to add insult to injury, because I was the last person in the building, I had to give official legal statements about what I had been doing in the building to prove I was not an arson suspect. <laughs> I had to talk about what I smelled and how long I was in there. So somewhere in Oklahoma, there are official documents that describe me in the bathroom. <laughs> but what was even more humiliating than having to talk to insurance companies and the fire marshal was the fact that I lost everything I owned. The only thing I had were the clothes on my back. And all of a sudden, I was very dependent on other people. 
It's going to be a few weeks before I would get any insurance money and could start getting things back. All of a sudden, I was an object of charity. I had never been so humbled before. I began to realize how proud I was when I started to realize how much I disliked the things I was getting from other people. I didn't like the clothes that were donated. They didn't fit me right. They weren't to my taste. And I also started to realize how proud I was when I started to see that I really wanted to be self-sufficient and do everything for myself. It was difficult for me to be in such a low position. I was proud, but my circumstances had humbled me. In humility, I had to learn how to depend on other people. And I began to realize just how fragile my own self-sufficiency and my ability to take care of myself was. I'd like for you to keep these themes of humility and pride in your mind today as we talk about the life of David. Pray with me, please. Holy God, open our ears as we listen uh, to you. Reveal yourself to us through scripture and show us how to live. In your name I pray. Amen. So last week, Austin told us about the life of Saul. And God chose Saul to be king. And despite looking like a great king on the surface, Saul wasn't a great candidate. He wasn't obedient to the Lord. He was proud. And he refused to depend on God. Eventually, God took the crown away from Saul. And as Austin read to us last week, Samuel told Saul, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. We're going to talk about David today, who indeed was that neighbor who was better than Saul. But we can't talk about David's ascent to the throne without talking about Saul's descent from the throne. So today we're going to look at the time in between David's anointing and Saul's death, which takes place in 1 Samuel chapters 16 through 31. I think that these chapters have two important things to tell us about David's character, and in doing so, will show us how we should live today. Now, even though Saul was a complicated person, as Austin proved to us, it seems that David was just as complicated. He was the youngest and least significant of all of his brothers, but he became more significant and powerful than anyone in his country. He was a talented musician and poet, but he was also a fierce and cunning warrior and was sometimes bloodthirsty and brutal. He exhibited mercy, but he also showed wrath. And scripture calls him a man after God's own heart. But ultimately, God refused to let David build the temple because there was too much blood on his hands. Now David's story begins in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. And the prophet Saul, not Saul, the prophet Samuel, had heard the voice of God again. And God told Samuel to go to Jesse of Bethlehem to anoint one of his sons as the future king. But he was supposed to go under the pretenses of offering a sacrifice so that Saul, the current king, would not be suspicious. So Samuel went to Bethlehem, and he invited Jesse and his sons to a sacrifice, much like you would invite your friends to a backyard barbecue. Jesse brought along his sons, and when Samuel saw the oldest, Eliab, he thought, wow, God, is this him? Is he the one? But God reminded Samuel that he was looking at the heart and not at the exterior. After all, the tall, handsome guy hadn't worked out so well the first time. 
So, seven of Jesse's sons passed by, but God hadn't chosen any of them. It's easy to imagine the scene as each of the sons walk by, and Samuel keeps asking God, is, is this it? Is he the one? And God just says, no, it's not him. Not this one. Every single time one walked by. So I'm sure Samuel got a little bit confused, because after all seven sons had walked by, there still wasn't a clear answer from God on who it would be. God still hadn't said, yes, anoint this one. So Samuel asked Jesse, is this it? Are, are these all your sons? And sure enough, there was one more son, the youngest, or in the ancient Near Eastern context, the least significant. He was out tending the sheep, which was another sign of his insignificance. So Samuel asked Jesse to send for his son, and when the youngest son arrived, the Lord told Samuel to anoint him as king. This least significant son was now the Messiah, the anointed one, the future king. And this young guy was David, and as soon as Samuel anointed him, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and at the same time departed from Saul. David's humble beginnings in Bethlehem amidst livestock and his messianic status hopefully remind you of someone else you may have heard of who humbly started in Bethlehem around livestock before he became great. Jesus, who was also the Messiah, also born in Bethlehem, also around livestock. Much of what Jesus did as a descendant of David is a pattern uh, of what David did. David isn't the only main character in this passage of scripture, though. And in order to gain an understanding of what David went through in his early life, we have to talk about Saul some more. So Saul began to be tormented by an evil spirit, and he needed help calming down during these torments. So since music calms a savage beast, one of his servants suggested finding a musician to play for him. And another servant said, hey, I, I know this guy. He's, he's really good looking and brave, and God is with him. And he's also a really great lyre player. A lyre is a type of harp. Basically, this guy told Saul, hey, I know this really cool guitar player. We should get him to come play for you. So Saul invited David, who was this guy, into his court, which was very ironic. Saul invited his own undoing and his own replacement into his very court and kingdom. And he even liked him so much that he promoted him from court musician to armor bearer. Now eventually the Philistines attacked Israel again, and this time they had one gigantic advantage, Goliath. So in ancient Near Eastern battle customs, it was common for each army to send a champion to fight for them, you know, one-on-one -on -one combat, and whoever won that would decide the victory for the entire war. And so that would determine who won the battle and who would go into slavery. It never really worked out that way though. Things were rarely so neat. Anyway, the Philistine St. Goliath was a very, very big man. Um, the Bible says his height was between six cubits and a span. However, biblical measurements are not as standardized as meters are today. So Goliath could have been anywhere between 1.8 and 2.75 meters. Either way, Goliath was much taller than most people in his day, where most men were barely over 1.5 meters. Goliath was at least tall enough to have a very successful career as a professional basketball player. Most of us are very familiar with this story. 
Goliath taunted the Israelites for 40 days before David went out to fight him. Goliath was armed to the teeth with incredible armor and an amazing sword that the Bible spends quite a bit of time describing. And David defeated him with just a slingshot and a smooth stone, all because God was with him. This was humiliating for the Philistines, and in order to humiliate them further, David chopped off Goliath's head and kept Goliath's weapons for himself. Additionally, during this time, Saul's oldest son, Jonathan, came to love David as a brother, and they made a promise to each other to always be loyal to one another, and their friendship is worth reading about, and I encourage you to do so, but for the sake of time, we won't have time to talk about it too much today. It's important to see that David didn't go out to kill Goliath or do any of these things to earn a reputation or a name for himself. At no point in the text do we see David doing anything for attention. When David went out to fight Goliath, he did so to defend God's reputation and to silence Goliath for mocking the living God. David recognized his own abilities, but his confidence was in God's ability instead of his own. This is an important aspect of humility. David knew his own abilities, but he didn't give himself more credit than he was due. David was more confident in God than he was in himself, and he depended on God and on God's power. Humility is the first character trait that we can see in David's life, and God wants his people to be humble. We can see this theme in passages like 1 Peter 5.5, which says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. We're around chapter 18 now, and we're going to see that David becomes a serious warrior. Saul, who was impressed with his victory over Goliath, keeps sending David out on military campaigns against the Philistines. And David was wildly successful in everything that he did. And this military prowess made him famous throughout Israel. And the women of Israel even made a song about David and Saul that said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul didn't take this too well. Now before we talk about how Saul handled his jealousy, I want to point out some of the literary structure of 1 Samuel to you. It's very common for Old Testament authors to repeat events and to use that to compare things. And whenever you see a repeated event in a book of the Bible, it's really important to pay attention to it because the author is trying to show you something by repetition. We're going to see some of that repetition here now with Saul and David. So back to Saul. Saul was vain and jealous from the beginning. An evil spirit had started tormenting him, and now this nobody shepherd musician from Bethlehem was getting more credit for being awesome than he was. Israel loved David more than they loved Saul, and Saul just couldn't take it anymore. Saul was furious, so one day, while David was playing music for him, Saul tried to kill him. He thought to himself, I'll pin him to the wall with a spear, and that'll be the end of it. So he threw a spear twice, and David dodged it both times. Now the same event occurs in chapter 19 again, almost word for word. But after the second time that Saul tried to kill David, David escaped and went on the run from Saul for good. David's wife and Saul's own daughter, Michal, helped David escape. Saul was jealous for his crown, and he was going to do anything he could to protect his own line and his own kingdom, even though God had told him that his kingdom was being taken away from him. 
David was on the run. He was hiding out and avoiding capture. And during this time, the characters of Saul and David come sharply into focus for us. David exhibits mercy on his enemies, except for the Philistines. There's absolutely no mercy there. Um, but Saul had already shown a willingness to kill David, and we'll see Saul's willingness to kill again and again and again. The events in chapters 21 and 22 demonstrate some of the differences between Saul and David's character, but for the sake of time, I'll just summarize the point of those chapters by saying this. Saul was bloodthirsty, cruel, and he was so jealous for his own crown that he would kill anybody who helped David, including 85 of God's priests, just because they helped David. David and Saul kept playing a game of cat and mouse in the wilderness. And even while avoiding Saul, David managed to be a hero and save a few cities from the Philistines. David was already acting like a king and doing the king's job. He was protecting the kingdom, which is what Saul should have been doing as king. But Saul was too busy acting like a jealous, single-minded maniac to be bothered with his kingly duties. David was victorious because he continually sought God's will. Whenever it came time for David to make a decision about whether he should stay or whether he should go, he always consulted God. And he prayed about it, and God gave him direction. You can see an example of this in chapter 23, when David was at Keilah. Now remember that I told you that a common element in Hebrew storytelling is repeated events. So we've already seen that Saul has tried to kill David twice in chapters 18 and 19. Now we're going to see two events that mirror the 18 and 19 episodes. So while Saul was hunting David down, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. Some of David's men pointed out that this was David's chance to be done with Saul forever. Saul could be done for, and the crown would be David's. It was a perfect opportunity. So David snuck into the cave where Saul was, and he cut off a corner of David, Saul's robe without Saul noticing. But David immediately regretted what he had done. Saul was still the king, and he was still God's anointed one. David realized that he should not have laid a hand on Saul. He did, however, take this chance to prove that he was still loyal to Saul and that he had shown mercy. So David went out and called for Saul and showed Saul how easily he could have killed him, but didn't. David showed mercy. Saul had tried to kill David, but David, when given the perfect opportunity, restrained himself. He acted mercifully and with loyalty to the king who had tried to kill him again and again and was still trying to do so. If David had killed Saul, the kingdom would have been his in that very moment. But David knew that wouldn't be right. He had to wait for God's timing. We'll see another instance in chapter 26, or you can see another instance in chapter 26, where David has another chance to kill Saul and instead shows mercy, patience, and loyalty again. This patience and obedience to God's will and timing is one of the second character traits that we can observe in David's early life. David trusted that God would come through for him, and he knew that he didn't have to force anything to get his kingdom. If we trust God like David did, then we will be able to live patiently, and we'll know that God will take care of us and give us what he's promised to us. Though there are several other events in the book of 1 Samuel, I want to move on to the end. The rest of 1 Samuel leads up to a very large battle with the Philistines and the Amalekites. 
So in order for you to understand what happens next, it's important to know that Samuel died in chapter 25. And you can read about his death in the first verse there. But for now, we're going to turn our attention to Saul again, starting in chapter 28. Saul observed the Philistine army assembling, and he was terrified. So Saul asked God what to do, but God wouldn't answer Saul. So Saul turned to other means to find out what he should do. Saul found a medium, which is a kind of witch, to call up the ghost of Samuel. But Samuel only told Saul that he was going to die, and his kingdom was going to be taken from him the very next day. God had just issued Saul's death sentence, and it was coming soon. In the meantime, David defeated the Amalekites, who had captured his two wives. Now David fulfilled the commandment that had been given to Saul years earlier. If you'll remember from last week, Saul had been charged to kill the Amalekites, and he didn't. And now David had to pay for his mistakes and fix them. And he did. The last chapter of 1 Samuel, chapter 31, describes Saul's suicide and the death of his sons at the hands of the Philistines. And 1 Samuel ends with Saul and his sons receiving a proper burial and with the end of Saul's reign. Proverbs 3, 33 through 34 says, The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. These proverbs match the circumstances of David and Saul perfectly. Saul was disobedient, wicked, and proud, and in his life, the kingdom was taken from him, and he died in disgrace. He had promising beginnings, but his life came to ruin because he refused to take God seriously. Saul lacked the humility and obedient spirit that were necessary to be king of Israel. David, on the other hand, walked humbly before God and constantly sought him in whatever he did. Whenever it came time for David to make a decision, he realized that God's will and plan were better and more important than his own. The question to obey or disobey was never a question for David in 1 Samuel. In his humility, he recognized the extent and the limits of his own abilities and being and knew that God was far more wise and powerful. David didn't promote his own agenda, but was patient for the throne. He acted in the way that Philippians chapter 2 tells us to act. He did nothing out of his own selfish ambition or vain conceit, but he humbly valued others, like Saul, more than he valued himself. This humility paved the way for his future glory as king. David was just and righteous as well. He knew that God had commanded and how he knew what God had commanded and he knew how God had set up the world. He worked for justice and became a great king, and God exalted David because of this. And David also loved mercy. The word often used for mercy or love in Old Testament passages, and specifically in Micah 6.8, which tells humans to walk humbly before God, live justly, and love mercy. That word mercy means so much more than mercy in Hebrew, and there's no equivalent to it in the English language but it conveys ideas of intense, loyal love and kindness. And the word that Micah uses in chapter 6, verse 8, is the same word that's used to describe God's love for people. 
David demonstrated this kind of love and kindness to Saul and Saul's family. He was loyal to Saul, even when Saul tried to kill him. And loyal to Jonathan, who by all worldly standards should have been his rival for the throne. By no means was David perfect. Scripture doesn't attempt to paint him that way. His faults are just as present as his virtues. But even with all his faults, David was still a man after God's own heart. And he proved he was after God's own heart by continually and humbly seeking God's will, extending loyal, loving mercy and kindness, and promoting justice, which is what God desires of all of us. As we move throughout our own lives, I think David's life can serve as a valuable example for us all. By seeing David's character, we can start to examine whether or not we walk humbly before God, use justice, and love mercy. According to Micah 6.8, God desires these things for all of us, and he desires them for us just as much as he desired them for David. As we work and interact with others, we should strive to act like David acted. When we're tempted by our own agendas and ambitions, we should humble ourselves and look out for the interests of other people more than our own. When people have done something to harm us or spite us, we shouldn't take revenge, but we should extend mercy to them, just like David did to Saul. I hope that David's life provides a meaningful example of these things for you to follow in the coming weeks. Please pray with me. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash FIBCCPH. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.
please visit www.fibc.vk Thank you for listening.